This is episode 361 of The Real Man Colon, a movie podcast. On this week's episode, Chase is going to take a look at The Black Phone, the newest film from Blumhouse and director Scott Derrickson. How will it hold up to all of his other films like Sinister and The Exorcism of Emily Rose and Doctor Strange? Who knows? All that and more. This episode starts right now. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of the Real Me and Colin Movie Podcast. I am your host, Chase Lee, and thank you for joining me on this wonderful day or night or whenever you're listening to this. You guys are awesome. And speaking of you guys, if you could spread this episode around and show it some love, and who knows, maybe there's a family member out there or a you know a friend that just doesn't really like movies or is looking for a podcast to join in with the movie community and just talk about the one thing that we love in this world. Uh, which is film, and you know maybe this uh, podcast will bring them joy. E- either way, spread it around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. Speaking of uh, you guys, you guys are awesome. Uh, I-, I hope uh, everyone is having a uh, fantastic, uh, like I said, day or night, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, this is episode 361. I will be going over uh, uh, the Black Phone uh, as the main topic of conversation, the newest film. Uh, from Scott, director Scott Derrickson and Blumhouse Entertainment. Um, yeah, and then I'll be talking about some of the TV shows I caught up with and, uh, you know, maybe some of Scott Derrickson's other movies uh, and just what I think about him overall before we jump into that. Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of like the flow of the show today. I hope you guys are, uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. But I got to ask, as usual, you guys doing okay? You guys, are, you guys doing fine? Uh, I know I said that earlier, but I just, I just want to reiterate it. Um, if you guys ever need someone to talk to, please uh, hit me up, uh, email me, tweet at me, do what you got, do what you got to do. Uh, but I'm doing, uh, I'm doing good for the most part. I can't believe June is almost over. I feel like June just started. So um, why is time going by really fast? Neil deGrasse Tyson, I'm talking to you, sir. Can you, can you explain that to me? Why is it going so fast? There's got to be some scientific explanation, or Maybe we're in the Mandela effect and we, we've been shifted to a different timeline where time goes faster. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, um, I'll get conspiracy theorists about this one, about this topic. So, uh, yeah, let me know. Why, why is time going by so fast? This is crazy. Anyways, I can't believe, like, the year is almost half over. Did you guys realize once July hits, we are at the halfway point? Insane. But, uh, yeah, everything else uh, in my life is uh, going pretty well. You know, uh, saw the black phone. Uh, last night doing this uh, episode for you guys here. Uh, I'm seeing Elvis tomorrow. That will be next week's episode. Spoiler alert. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, Elvis will be next week. I'm watching Minions. Yes, I'm watching that <laughs> uh, next Monday. I got Thor Love and Thunder next Wednesday. Um, that will be the following week's episode. So yeah, a lot of stuff um, coming, uh, coming your way. Um, yeah, but um that is it movie wise as far as like tv shows and catching up on everything uh saw the third episode of ms marvel uh absolutely loving this show just very bright and um lively and just funny and the stakes are pretty high like the uh main character is really likable and i i can't wait to see like her journey throughout this entire universe like just everything about it and of course like the dodc um having them involved knowing that some of them were probably scrolls like, I'm glad we're getting to that storyline. Just everything about the show, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's one of my favorites out of the uh, Disney Plus Marvel shows thus far. Um, I still have not watched uh, Obi-Wan. You know, the finale dropped today. I guess I'll binge it. Um, maybe I'll give you my, my updated thoughts on that. But 
I really have no desire to watch it. But uh, yeah, uh, I didn't didn't watch that because uh, I know I know people have asked me, and I'm just like eh, I'm just kind of tired of the Skywalker storyline. I just want something else, um, you know, different characters and whatnot. So that's what I'm like looking forward to Andor. Um, not really. It is connected in some way, shape, or form to like Rogue One, and Rogue One's connected to the Skywalker saga kind of but it's more of an offshoot for me to where like i can enjoy it a little bit more and be more excited about because it it's something new and something fresh so yeah there's that also i finished succession um i'm gonna go ahead and talk about some things um so if you don't want to know um i apologize just give me like a couple minutes here um but i i wanted to talk about it and i think it ended like last fall so it's been a while since um third season has come out but uh, um man what a journey the show has t- uh, taken me on i gotta tell you kendall roy is one of the best written characters i've seen on a television show in a very long time and here's why the character on the surface is very vile uh very just soaked in betrayal and um has a lot of issues with drugs and alcohol um, doesn't really pay attention to his kids. He's just kind of a mess. He's obsessed with um, having his dad love him. Like, there's so many issues with that man. However, you you feel empathy for him. And not only is the character written well to experience that emotional intensity with, it's also the performance of Jeremy Strong. That performance in particular blows my mind every single episode the arc that he has taken from season one to the end of season three is just downright impressive the events after season one where he has a bunch of guilt for quote-unquote killing a kid it goes through two whole seasons and that is amazing to me because when you have something like this happen to a character and it it weighs so much on them. A lot of writers will probably just write the guilt conscience thing for like a season and be done with it. No, 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 no. This w- this affected him so much that they had him go through uh, this roller coaster for two seasons with it before he finally broke down and told his his siblings about it, or he finally got that off of his chest. And of course, his brother uh, Roman, you know, telling him that. Hey, if you actually like went back and like did this, like you tried, you tried your best. Like it was just a really bad accident. Um, kind of like shedding a, a different perspective on it. I think that made Kendall feel a lot better. But he could not do that because his dad was looming that over him for two whole seasons. But it's it's just such a well written character. And my favorite episode of third the third season was episode seven where he had his birthday party. Kendall was turning forty, and you know, he was very unlikable. The entire, I wanted to punch him in the face. Every decision that he made, every single bit of dialogue, every single conversation that he had with someone, he was just burning bridges left and right. And I'm like, this guy needs help. Like, but I I, I hate him to my core. But what made me change my mind uh, was at the end of the episode. And that happens for every episode where like you have this intense passion to like hate this man. But then Jeremy Strong makes you makes you care about him. 
even if like all hope is gone and like you just do not like him, there's always a shred of humanity that pokes through, just shines through his character. And it all has to do with the performance. And like Jeremy Strong is one of the best. He really is. Like that whole episode is um, a great case study for that for that character. And then the last episode was just oh, it was icing on the cake with like the coup at the end, and of course like Shiv's husband Tom, oh, played by the great Matthew McFadden, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, does such a great job um, being like this snake. And oh, I just I cannot wait for season four. Now, I don't know how much longer they can kind of go with it just because it, it will get tiresome if they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. So my suspicion is that they're going to probably be done after season five or season six. Um, I, I don't really know uh, how, how, long they, how long they would go, but I, I think no, no more than five or six. Um, it's going to have to st- the buck is going to have to stop somewhere. With all this stuff happening, um, there's just no way they can keep up like these shenanigans for this long. But um, hey, you know what? I, I I was watching the behind the scenes stuff, and even the showrunners are super nervous every single season, just because they're like, "Well, we outdid ourselves the previous season. How do we top our How do we top our our story? How do we top what we just did?" And so it puts a lot of pressure on them to like bring out the best writing and the best stories and the be- the best character developments. And I, I love that. You're, you're, we're, we're kind of like putting them in the corner and they're, they're coming out stronger than ever. Every single season tops the previous one. And so I, I have full faith in them that they're going to do the same thing for season four. But man, oh man, oh man, I finished the journey. It's, it's one of the best I've ever seen. It's so good. Um, and so if you have not seen Succession, uh, get and you got HBO Max. Um, watch it. If you don't have HBO Max, what are you doing? I think HBO has some of the better shows in terms of like quality versus quantity. Um, so yeah, uh, sign up for it. I think it's worth it. That's not, not. It's not just Succession. I mean, you got Westworld. You got uh, True Detective. You got Game of Thrones. You have the old school stuff like Sopranos and The Wire, um, Six Feet Under. Like I, I'm, I'm uh, go back and watch those for the first time. So. Yeah, I think HBO Max is definitely worth the the price uh, for each month. It, it definitely it's the the best service. Um, but yeah, Succession, Chef's Kiss. That's all I gotta say. Just moi, just good, great stuff. Okay, so I finished that. Um, that was pretty much my my only thing I was trying to finish. So I think my next journey is to finally finish Severance uh, and get caught up on Mythic Quest. Uh, so I'll probably just be on Apple TV Plus for a while because both of them are, are on that service. And then, of course, I'm watching The Boys each week. Um, each episode of Season 3, I feel like, just tops the previous one. Uh, they also, just like with Succession, just get better and better and better. Um, and this week's episode is going to be absolutely insane. The hero-gasm episode that the uh, Boys account keeps teasing. So you, you, you guys will get my thoughts on that. Um, for next week's episode, so that that will be quite fun, but yeah, I'm really enjoying television right now. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of great stuff, and of course, uh, super excited for uh, Westworld. I think that comes back this Sunday, I believe. Comes back very soon. Um, looking forward to seeing where that goes for season four. But that's all I've been catching up on. Uh, TV, 
TV-wise, what have you guys been watching? Uh, please let me know down below. Okay, so the main topic of conversation is The Black Phone, uh, directed by the Scott Derrickson. Um, I, uh, I was first introduced to Scott Derrickson subconsciously through The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I say that because I wasn't aware of like the director's work. I wasn't really paying attention to that. But I thought that was a really great movie. Uh, Jennifer Carpenter is in it based on a real life story, um, incorporating once again, kind of like this reality fiction combo where it feels like you're watching something just very grounded and real and visceral. And um, that's how Scott Derrickson works. And The Exorcism of Emily Rose, it was better than your traditional exorcism movie at that time. Because at that point, there was exorcism movies everywhere. Um, two of my favorites uh, from that era were this one, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and The Last Exorcism. I actually quite like that one. Um, I don't remember part two that much because it was probably not that good, but I like the first one. So those were my two favorite ones. And also, uh, The Taking of Deborah Logan. I think that was the one that has been on Shudder for a while. That one's actually not that bad either. So anyways, um, yeah, I, uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, really great stuff, and it really kind of pushed Jennifer Carpenter, uh, in my eyes, to like the next level because like she was always great on like Dexter and stuff, but I was like, let me see some of her films. And that one, like she has to fully commit to a physical performance that like, it, it, it just blows my mind every time I see the movie. Cause I'm like, you really have to go there to like contort your body like that and like do all that stuff. And like, um, feel like you're being, uh, exercised from within. Like, yeah, I, I thought she absolutely killed it. And it's actually, like, not even, like, a, a full-blown-on exorcism movie. It's more of a courtroom drama. Um, I think that uh, kind of threw a lot of people off because they wanted the traditional, like, you know, found footage, handy cam, like, scare every two seconds. It's like, no, that's not how Scott works. And so um, that's a really great one. But my first, like, actual, like, full-blown experience was when I saw Sinister in the theaters. I saw it with my brother. And I saw this was one of my favorite movie experiences. Um, we saw it in the middle of the day. I'm talking like full on like 2, 3 p.m. Sun's still out. Like you're, you're going to watch the movie and leave and it's still going to be sunny out. And there's only two movies. Two movies that have creeped me out. And I could barely sleep that night. And I watched them uh, during the day. I didn't watch them at night. So I had plenty of time to process it and then go to sleep. I, I couldn't. Uh, the first one was the first paranormal activity. I know, cheesy to say, that one got me pretty good. I could not sleep in my apartment that night. I stayed up all night. Um, and then before I went to class the next morning, because this is when I was in college, I, I went to the Krispy Kreme um, uh, store down the street and I totally just had like a coffee and some donuts and I was tired that day, but it was worth it. I was like, man, I don't know why this movie like, um, rocked me to my core like this, but it did it. And Sinister was the other one. My brother and I watched the movie and like, we, we left the theater and we we're like, wow, that was like, that was really creepy. I feel like Bagul is going to like pop out of the corner and like snatch me up. Even though I wasn't a kid at that point, I still feel like Bagul would do do some BS like that and uh, snatch me up or whatever. And it was great character design, great threatening presence uh, throughout the film. You never knew where he was going to be at. Just that whole character and that demonic entity is one of the 
one of the ones that has burned its image into my my brain forever. And it all has to do with Scott Derrickson. That was also, I think, based on a true story. Um, and it started Ethan Hawke. And, like, that was his first first Ethan Hawke collab. Um, and I thought he killed it. It was such a great movie. Like, I, I didn't see the second one. I don't think I need to. I heard it was pretty bad. Um, but the first one is, I, I think, one of the best modern horror films. Period. It, ju- it just is. And then, of course, uh, Scott Derrickson got to try his hand at um, Doctor Strange. And, you know, I I, um, I I liked the first Doctor Strange quite a bit. And I thought bringing his sensibility with, like, the fantastical and, like, um, the horror and the supernatural uh, and taking just everything that he learned from his previous films and applying it to Doctor Strange, I thought he did a fantastic job um, directing another cog in the, the Marvel machine. Um, and this one was, uh, what was it, 2016? So it was... The same year as I'm trying to remember Thor Ragnarok. No, that was 2017. What was 2016? There was something that came out before. It was something else in Doctor Strange that came out in the same year. I think it might have been Spider-Man: Homecoming. No, that was also 2017. I don't know. I, I'm I'm losing my mind right now. Uh, Ant-Man: The Wasp. No. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know anymore. Um, I'm losing all perception of time. Anyways, um, Doctor Strange uh, comes out, and that was like kind of, kind of his big, uh, you know, attempt at a humongous blockbuster. And he was supposed to come back and do the sequel, um, but I think he left due to creative differences. Uh, doesn't matter um, whether it was him or Sam Raimi uh, that that did it. I thought Doctor Strange and Multiverse Madness came out pretty well. Um, didn't really matter who was behind the, the chair. I think both of those would have been great options. But yeah, so now he's back doing a smaller film with his writing partner, C. Robert Cargill. And now they're doing the Black Phone. So yeah, that's kind of my um, my thoughts on Scott Derrickson um, throughout the years. And I think he's a very talented filmmaker. So I was looking forward to the Black Phone. So when we come back from the break, I will be reviewing the Black Phone, the newest film from Scott Derrickson and Blum house jason blum uh once again i would like to you know extend my offer uh, out there mr blum if you ever listen to this um i would like to interview you uh you know just uh come on the podcast you know you can't if you want i'm just, I'm just saying you know the invitation is out there uh i respect that man highly and he's uh definitely one of my favorite uh producers for sure but anyways um, yeah, so when we come back from the break, uh, we'll be going over the black phone. So, uh, stay tuned for that. And welcome back from the break. Let's not waste any more time and let's talk about the black phone. Now this one comes to us from Universal Pictures and it actually hits theaters this Friday, June 24th. If you choose to watch this, regardless of what I'm about to say. So what is this movie about? After being, abduct- after being abducted by a child killer played by Ethan Hawke and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. This one's directed by Scott Derrickson, who has brought us such great films like Sinister, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and even The First Doctor Strange. I don't think this guy misses. So I was really looking forward 
to this one. Um, and I also like the marketing to this. Uh, all the trailers kind of kept a lot of things hidden, so you didn't really know what the full story, which is great because you can kind of walk in and experience it for the first time. Just have everything kind of unravel to you in real time and just experience it um, firsthand instead of being spoiled in the marketing. So I kind of like it from that approach. It keeps everything a little mysterious. Um, so with all that said, looking forward to it. Uh, I love Scott Derrickson's work. Um, like I said, Sinister is one of the best horror films I've ever seen. It is absolutely just unflinching, unnerving, creepy, uh, to the bone type of story where a movie where you just watch it, you feel like you just, um, you witnessed like a snuff film. Like that's how, that's how real it felt. Uh, but that is Scott Derrickson's uh, sensibilities. He mixes reality and fiction, and he blends them in so well together. You feel like you're watching something that's really happening, um, that you know happened down the street from, from your house or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like um, just his eye for horror uh, and supernatural and thriller, because um, that's what Sinister was too, and he kind of uh, implements all that into this one as well. Um, so I found that interesting. So. So how was the black phone? After watching it, I like it. Um, you know, Scott Derrickson to me, like I said, has not missed. Uh, I've either liked his films, thought his films were fantastic, and some of them I will remember fondly as a great theater experience. So I don't think this guy has ever missed, in my opinion. And you can just add this one to the stack as well. It's a good movie. A great thriller, a great uh, supernatural film. Uh, a great uh, survival film, a great horror film. Once again, Scott Derrickson knows how to uh, meld a bunch of genres together and really just make it work for a great, great movie experience. And that's the other thing I want to want to bring up first uh, was the uh, movie experience. My theater was packed, and some of the jump scares that happened were warranted, by the way, and like they they were effective. They weren't cheap. Um, and it got everyone, it even got me and I rarely get gotten, get gotten. I rarely got getting, I have no idea, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I rarely jump from, uh, jump scares anymore because you can kind of anticipate it. Your, your body is conditioned to anticipate these things, but Scott Derrickson, man, he, he just sneaks them in and they're really effective. And I'm like, man, don't, don't make me jump up in my seat. I'm a grown man, sir. Uh, but yeah, I really like the theater experience with this one. Just know going into this, this is not like a slasher film. It's not like, you know, blood and guts everywhere. Like the violence is very minimal, but it's very powerful when it, and potent when it happens. The jump scares and the horror elements are sparse throughout. But once again, very effective. Um, this really plays more of, of like a supernatural thriller. So uh, don't expect that going in because I think a lot of people will just assume since it's the guy from Sinister and Emily Rose, like it's going to be scary. And it's like, it's it's creepy and it's disturbing, but I wouldn't really classify it as like just full blown on horror or like a slasher film if that's what you're expecting. So just know that going in. But speaking of uh, Scott Derrickson, I think the way he directs this is just really just uh, amazing to me because... The film starts out with like this small little town and like we're getting to know like the kids uh, and, and their lives at home and school and it just, it's a real great sense of setting and atmosphere and it feels fun. It feels like a, the start of a coming of age film and then kids start getting picked off one by one. So now we, get, we start getting into like 
the the police drama and thriller and mystery of the film. And then once our main character gets abducted, then we get into like the kind of like uh, unnerving, hair-raising, chill-to-the-bone horror um, that he, he is about to face. And he has to make a quick decision to survive or just stay there and do nothing. And so, um, yeah, and then it becomes a survival tale. So just navigating all of those genres and tones and moods and having it all kind of come together. And there's even like some darkly comedic stuff uh, in here with some of the dialogue, but it works. And so I, I thought Scott Derrickson's kind of mastery of just kind of weaving in and out of all these tones and just um, approaches to the story, I thought was really interesting. And it really just made the experience worthwhile because you had no idea what type it was going to kind of like go down. Like, oh, let's, uh, we're, we're in the basement now. And then like, uh, it turns into a, a horror movie for a little bit. And then it flips back into uh, a family drama. And like, it, it just, I, I don't know. I just thought it was really well done in, on how he constructed everything. And that's the other thing too, just like with Sinister and establishing a lot uh, in the first act of this film was a lot of family drama and character development and really just kind of laying the groundwork for everything uh, before we got into the, the meat of the story. So that's what Scott Derrickson does very well. And you can even watch it in Sinister. He establishes character and setting and, and, and story and just kind of like setting the groundwork for everything that's about to happen and just kind of unravel into this like hellish nightmare. Um, He's really great at doing that. And so, yeah, I liked all the characters uh, in this film. You really you really cared about what they were doing. You, you care about their safety. You want them to survive out of this. Um, and so I, I thought he did a really good job kind of uh, laying the groundwork for all of that. And, uh, of course, the story itself, uh, a really great survival tale. Um, there's even some bits of Supernatural in there. doesn't fully explain to, like, 100%. <laughs> Uh, of uh, what it all means with the supernatural elements, but with the, I guess, family dynamic of like the brother and the sister of the, the, the two main kids, there's something with their family. There's something that they have, they, they have like a sixth sense within them. So you can kind of understand that, but it wasn't like fully explained. So that, that'd be kind of like my only like minor gripe um, with it, but it's, it's not a big deal. But anyways, um, uh, the supernatural stuff was interesting, and um, I thought the uh, family drama was interesting. The thriller part was interesting. It was just a, a really well put together story, and um, I have to give also credit to his his writing partner, C. Robert Cargill. Great stuff. Like they 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 work together on I think most of their the things that Scott Derrickson directs. They they're just a great team. I want to see them do more, because I think they really just kind of craft like just old school. Uh, type of um, horror films that they grew up with. And you can see that. You can see the passion and the creativity that they bring to their films. You can see a lot of influences from other films and um, you got to respect that. So, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I, I thought uh, Scott Derrickson uh, did a fantastic job um, really kind of uh, just giving us something kind of fresh and unique in the, the um, you know, Blumhouse catalog <laughs> since Blumhouse uh, did um, produce this. Speaking of Blumhouse, their logo in the front, they changed it. It's awesome. A little side note. I'm just letting you guys know. Uh, so if you see the black phone this weekend, just know that they changed their uh, 
their logo. It's not just set in the room or whatever with like the many things that the camera whips to and then Blumhouse is on the wall. No, no, no. They go through like a whole house now. It's, it's amazing. Anyways, uh, back, back to the movie. So let's talk about some of the, uh, the performances because I, I think this is also where a, a lot of great things kind of uh, come from this film. I'm going to leave Ethan Hawke last. I'm going to talk about the, the kids first because they are the, the driving forces behind this film. The main character, excuse me, Finney, uh, played by Mason Thames. I think that's how you pronounce it. Anyways, what a great lead. Feels like just a very authentic performance. He feels like a kid. Like he's, he acts like a kid. He makes stupid decisions. Um, he is figuring stuff out on the fly. Like he's, you know... Uh, trying to figure out like what's going on like I loved just kind of like the naturalistic uh performance that he gave and he was a really fun uh lead to kind of follow um also the sister uh Madeline McGraw also really great um she displays a lot of range uh within this film there's a lot of fierceness uh in her there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of uh timidness there's a lot of uh confidence and I thought she did a really great job kind of navigating through all those types of emotions. And she was a really great uh, sister to the brother. Uh, and speaking of uh, confidence as well, that is also one of the, the main themes that Finney is trying to go through. And I thought Mason also had a great arc with uh, his confidence. And at the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, he, he went through a bunch of stuff, but um, he came out better on the other end. You know, he, he feels more like himself now. He feels like he can conquer the world and... Um, yeah, I, I really liked uh, uh, kind of that portrayal. And then the uh, the father, Jeremy Davies. Um, this is the type of performance where you have to be fearless because there's a lot of child abuse. It's not like super graphic, but it can get uncomfortable while you're watching it, and you have to you have to be fearless when you do these types of roles. And I thought Jeremy Davies' performance as the father. Yes, it was really hard to see, um, but also there was a lot of like just sadness within this man to where I didn't think he was fully like irredeemable to where like he's got a lot of issues, like a lot of issues. But it was the type of like character work to where he was kind of balancing like, yeah, I'm an evil uh, piece of crap, but also like it's because there's something that's hurting inside of me that I just I can't get out just because like in the time period that this is in, you know, men aren't supposed to share their feelings. They're not supposed to like be vulnerable and stuff. And I think there was a lot of just pain and sadness there. And so you could see it in his eyes. And I, I thought that was a really great performance. The detectives uh, in this uh, really fun. Uh, I, e. Roger Mitchell, that man shows up everywhere as a detective. And I love it. Um, yeah. And then all the other kids, great stuff. Feel like just a, a uh, group of kids, <laughs> like, and that's the thing with like child actors is that, you know, it's very easy for them to just kind of read lines off of a page and not really feel like uh, it seems real and it just it feels like they're just reading off of a script. But I liked all the child actors in this because it ma they made the setting, they made this neighborhood uh, come to life and have a personality. You really felt like they all lived uh, in the same vicinity. They all went to the same school, and I thought all, all of them kind of reflected that. Um, I think that's about it. That's all I really want to talk about uh, with all the performances. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, it, it was it was great. Uh, you know, when you when you see the trailer, you're like, okay, this man's gonna become unhinged. 
he's uh, not going to be, you know, the type of per, uh, villain where he's going to have like some empathy that you're. No, he's just straight up cuckoo for cocoa puffs, and you just want him to, you want him to die because he's just like killing all these kids in the neighborhood, and you're like, this man cannot be saved. Like he needs to be stopped. Um, and I thought kind of like that unhinged, untethered kind of wild performance, um, someone as great as Ethan Hawke can pull off and not seem overly like, um, dramatic or cheesy or just like, doesn't really make sense. Like he has voice inflections. He, the way he carries himself, the way he moves, the way he stares at these kids with like these dead cold eyes and the way he just kind of, um, manipulates them and the way he I don't know just the way he manipulates us and like it's just it's a it's the type of performance to where you can tell that he's having fun but also he he understands like how to portray this character without it seeming like oh he's just like an absolute you know ooh I'm just uh, crazy it's just like no 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of layers to his performance that make up his character and his personality and it's it, it's creepy, it's disturbing, and I think that's what he was going for. And he honestly, he needs to do more stuff like this. Like I know he doesn't like to do villain stuff, but hey, between this and Moon Knight, he's killing it this year. So yeah, I thought Ethan Hawke uh, definitely uh, <laughs> I thought he 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 uh, he showed up in this. I, I will just tell you that. Uh, and let's just say at the end of the film, it was satisfying <laughs> um, after all the hell that the main character went through. Um, yeah, I mentioned the setting. Uh, I think it's set in the 70s, 60s. Um, I like the aesthetic of it. Uh, I like, uh, uh, this, the golden hue that the, um, color correction has on the entire film. It really kind of puts you into that, that time frame. Um, yeah. And then of course, uh, mixing in like, uh, certain scenes with like the, the film grain footage and making it look even more, uh, old and, um, uh, more, I guess, timely for that for that era, it fits. And just like with Sinister, when uh, you know uh, Ethan Hawke's character in that film was also checking out old films, you know those old films felt real. They felt um, like we were watching real life people being murdered. And uh, Scott Derrickson uh, implements the same filmmaking techniques in this, and where you feel like you're watching real footage, and just mixing that reality with fiction is such a great combination. It makes except for just a really disturbing experience. But you know what? It's still a fun thriller at the end of the day. It's still entertainment. And I still think um, uh, Scott Derrickson can deliver pure entertainment. And that's what that man does. So that is my thoughts on The Black Phone. What did you think about the movie? Uh, please let me know down below whether you liked it, loved it, hated it, all that stuff. I just want to know your thoughts on it. And that will do it for this episode of the Real Me and Cole Movie Podcast. Thank you. For listening and tuning in on episode 361 it is in the bag folks it is done we can move on to the next one and speaking of the next one i alluded to it earlier it is uh, episode 362 i will be going over elvis um i i know it's going to be a week late but it gives people time to watch it because like, i've been hearing mixed things about it it's all almost a three hour long movie so i feel like there's going to be a lot to discuss especially coming from me who hasn't really seen much of Boz Lerman's filmography. So it should be an interesting conversation. But yeah, that will be next week. And then the following week will be episode 363. And I will be going over Thor, Love and Thunder, which is a, a significant moment for me. 
because I my first episode ever of this podcast was Thor the Dark World back in 2013, almost 10 years ago. Insane. Uh, so I, I think it's only fair that bare minimum I, I have to do all the Thor movies. Um, if so Chris Hemsworth wants to do like 20 of these things, I got to do it. I started out with it. I got to end with it. This is this is how this is how it goes. So, anyways, um, yeah. So that's uh, for the next two weeks. So Elvis and then Thor: Love and Thunder. And of course, you're gonna get a Minions mini review. Um, and then at some point, you will get a Marcel the Shell with Shoes on review. Um, that will be sometime in July. I, I'm not sure when, but um, that is your prospects for right now. Uh, but yeah, uh, that will do it for this week's episode of the Real McCormick Movie Podcast. Thank you for joining me. I am Chase Lee. You guys are awesome. Please spread this around and let people know this is your favorite movie podcast to listen to. That would be much appreciated. Uh, have a good day, good night, whenever you're listening to this. Once again, you guys are awesome. I will see you guys uh, for next week when we talk about Elvis, uh, the Elvis Presley movie. See you guys then. Bye. Bye.